Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. This is your first time joining us. Together we're watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 2, Episode 2, Flight 1, written by Lisa Albert and Matthew Weiner, and directed by Andrew Bernstein. Not Bernstein? Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This episode originally aired on August 3rd, 2008. Hit movies at at the time that week were The Dark Knight, which won the box office in its third week, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, a movie that we like to forget happened, and opened that weekend to number two with Step Brothers rounding up the top three. Other movies opening that week in the top ten were Pineapple Express, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2, and Swing Vote, all of which makes me feel super old. Hit song (laughs) that week was Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl at number one yet again. I can't believe that Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, and The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2 were all in theaters at the same time. What a wild Like, when I time. think about those movies, I do not think about the same, like, time period in my life. But apparently it was. You have right. to really appreciate the variety. <laughs> so, this week on Mad Men, Duck frustrates Dawn, Peggy spends time with her family, and Pete makes a choice. It was definitely a week. So beginning with Pete, um, we see him and Trudy showing up at like a party. And the first thing we hear is like Trudy being like, I'm just worried about the car. And like right at the bat, I'm like, Jesus Christ, Trudy. Like, I don't think that this whole thing is going to go well. And you know what? It really didn't. It was a time. Work parties are always (laughs) interesting. Yeah. But Trudy says. Actually, I almost missed this line the first time I watched the episode um, when Trudy says, like, oh, I can't wait to, like, see the people you work with. Some of them even work for you. And I'm just like, do they, Pete? Is that what we're telling people now? <laughs> oh, and then, then Peter, like, really quickly goes, like, now, you know, Trudy, let's let's cool with that. You know, they, they don't necessarily see it that way. And, like, he has to do this, like, tap dance where it's like, oh, yeah. You, <laughs> keep, yeah. keep it on the down low so yeah. you don't find out that I uh, was straight up lying to you about my seniority at work. Yeah. And so he's just going to play it off like, let's just be humble and not make anyone feel bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, Pete. Trudy is such a gem of a wife. Oh, she's trying, man. She's doing her she's doing her best. She really is. How did he land that? I Honestly, I don't know. It has to mostly be like he just had to have been really good at hiding who he was as a person, just like he was so surprised at that she was, like, funny. <laughs> oh, I think the answer is they literally hadn't met before they got married. So. <laughs> it's like kind of like a waspy arranged marriage situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, this party, I mean, we don't see too much of Pete at the party other than, like, their entrance, but that's about as much fun as Pete has in this episode. Everything else gets... Uh, pretty sad and serious very quickly it's not his best week no no and it just we also get some insight i guess into why kinsey was so late for that meeting that he beat don to in the last episode it's because now kinsey has moved to new jersey so it's kind of interesting we also see oh i thought you were saying like that's the time that he was choosing to steal the typewriter i mean like okay (laughs) (laughs) i love that kinsey is basically like setting up the um He's like, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the word now. He's like the prototype hipster now because you like you have your hipsters now who are like, I like the typewriter, and that's him mm. now too. I'm a writer. I need it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a sofa, but here's my complicated story about the the liquor I'm drinking in my nice crystal glass, you know, because it's about... <laughs> like, I don't understand. Okay, so we're getting way off track very quickly to here yeah. today. But I just don't understand why... When she's like, why do you get this fancy glass? He's not like, I fucking live here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But more on that later, because I find that interaction. I mean, there's bad and good in that interaction we talk about. Oh, goodness. Yes. Anyway, back to Pete. I feel like we're just avoiding it because it's sad. It's a lot. So what? the next day, everyone's coming in. um, Don and Roger get off the elevator. And everyone... And they're making jokes about how no one wants to work and everyone is crowded around the radio listening to the news about this plane crash, mm-hmm. which I'm sure for a lot of us who are around in 2018, able to, you know, interested in watching a show like Mad Men, this was a familiar scene, not super unlike, you know, when we all heard about 9-11 as it was happening and the mood goes down, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Pete's making terrible jokes. Well, he's the everyone's making terrible jokes. So, like, everyone's. I think the, But like, Pete does make the first bad joke. And it was really bad. Like, not, a ter- not like, in a whoa, 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 too far, dude. I'm like, that's just not a good joke. It wasn't a good joke. And he also waited until, like, a phone call came yeah. in. And so they're crowded around her desk. She's on the phone trying to do her job. And Pete's like, let me talk over your phone conversation to tell this really bad joke. Yeah, no, Kinsey actually starts the jokes, right? Because oh okay because the because um, Rogers like hey get back to work why are you guys what are you guys doing because he thinks that they're uh, listening to the radio of John Glenn's um, parade after you know however many times he like orbited Earth or whatever the, the story mm-hmm. was there I don't quite remember the top of my head um, and it's wrong and that's when we find out that it's it's the plane crash and what I really like about that scene as as cringe inducing as it kind of gets later is you kind of go through the same. S- similar steps and i think it's really true to life in terms of like public mourning right because you have the Mm -hmm, the shock mm -hmm. this the somberness it's quiet um and then don being don's like well how do we process this how do we deal with it well we need to you know take care of our client in mohawk airlines let's you know pull our ads because we don't want those by the the news story and we need to think about um how we can redo our work and how we're going to deal with with this in our in our professional capacity and he says we need to hit the ground running and then he's very take care of business exactly and that's when he says hit the ground running and he leaves that's when kinsey starts the jokes freddie romson has some and then what i think is even more cringe inducing cringe inducing excuse me about peter's bad joke and as he's talking over hildy on the phone and everything else is it's like Peter has feels like he has to get involved and he has to have a zinger to be part of the group to be included. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even just like the jokes in general, that idea of, of the somber to like, how do you process this terrible thing that's happened in the news? Well, people frequently use kind of twisted or dark, dark humor jokes that like make you uncomfortable. And it's an interesting phenomenon that happens no matter what kind of public tragedy or, or, or news story that occurs where it's like, that's a coping mechanism when it's not personal, but when it's like, you know, in that kind of public sphere, but then how quickly that, that turns in Peter's mood changes when he finds out that his dad was one of the, the people wearing plaid going to the golf tournament on the plane. And then it just kind of, mm-hmm. it doesn't really unravel Peter in like how it would maybe unravel some other characters, but like Peter does feel very kind of untethered compared to how we've seen him 
before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and it it was I thought it was a really good portrayal of that initial news of shock as you were talking about all the variety of uh of different reactions. I thought it was really um emblematic of of everyone's experiences like Roger's just like what the fuck guys just get back to work things happen but like you know he lived through through war and all that stuff he he's like you know things bad things happen people are gonna die in pain sometimes and then Don uh whose experience with war is a little more recent and probably not as extensive his was very like we got stuff to do we're gonna do it but he's very he's still fairly aware of the the weight of it Kinsey, Pete, these guys haven't really served. They've all just been having their nice lives in New York, and it's almost like too big. So they are joking, and and it did. It I think it 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 was a really good example and well done. And but like you said, it hit Pete so hard. It's almost too big that the shock was I thought really perfect. Mm-hmm. When he, he like his first reaction is just completely blank because that's you know you don't you haven't gone through that before you don't know what to do your brain doesn't know what to do so he goes to you know this person he sees as like almost like a father figure Mm -hmm. in it's in his own way and he goes to don who's always seemed so steady to him who knows everything that he needs to do and he tells him what happens and starts asking these questions like uh what does he ask he's like he just says, I don't know what to do. What does one do? Am I going to cry? You know, and Don, who just automatically said, gives him very simple, basic one word instructions. Go home. Be with your family. Yes is what I do. Bye. Mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was just like a really great moment for them. I love that scene. It's a good one. It's really good. I love Pete saying like, I don't. I don't know what to do because especially because as the episode continues, we kind of realize that like the way that he is going to handle the death of his father is going to be really informative to like what kind of person Pete is going to be going mm-hmm. forward um, because, you know, the death of a parent would change anyone, obviously, mm-hmm. but especially when you're watching TV and you're watching stories, that is a pivotal moment. If, if, if a parent dies and the character we're following is the child, like that's a pivotal moment in their story. And so just from, you know, understanding and watching, you know, storytelling, we know that this is going to be important. And then to hear Pete say out loud, like, I don't know what to do. We know he's already processing it. Um, I think it plays out really well in the episode. Um, But yeah, it's really, really good acting between both um, Mm -hmm. John Hamm and, Vincent Whatever weird name is <laughs> Vincent, Vinny. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very human, vulnerable, very vulnerable moment for him, and uh, it just makes it a little harder to hate him. Yeah, I didn't hate Pete in this episode. I don't mm-hmm. think at any point. <laughs> yeah, and then when you consider how complicated, which is like the nice word I'm going to use for their mm-hmm. relationship, that's just going to make processing it and grieving even worse because you know losing parents is tough enough but when you have all this um this baggage and now you're never gonna you're definitely 100% never gonna have this resolution you're never going to have this moment where you actually find a a place of peace between the two of you that's just gotta be even more gut-wrenching well and not only that but Peter goes on to find out that this pedestal that his father had put 
like himself on basically like he was giving Pete you know not ultimatums but he was telling Pete like you know don't be in advertising it doesn't look proper like you need to do whatever um and then to find out that he wasn't even that like his father was doing all this like shady shit on the side so it's like not only do you have a complicated relationship but that complicated relationship was based on bullshit yeah so how do you ever get over that and i I, what's i think interesting for me to and related to that is when you have characters especially like parent and child characters that have that kind of complicated relationship and are seemingly like when they get together they um as pete says his mother calls it they fight about facts they seem like oil and water but in the ways that they're actually so incredibly similar um the idea of like because pete very much still puts himself on that pedestal like even with trudy like we talked about before with the all these people work for you and 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 things like that Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the same brokenness that existed in his dad exists in peter just manifest like the the trappings and the colors of the drapes are a little different and i one of my favorite callbacks in this episode and kind of the the blocking of it um is when you see we see pete and the family together and you and his brother you know tells him later on in the scene that you know how broke they actually are and how how their dad's kind of pissed away the money mm. um pete's sitting in his dad's chair from last mm. season when he asked for help with the down payment and Peter was on the couch looking small and the camera was framed, his dad was in that chair and it even I think it pretty much recreated it almost the shot where the mother's on the couch now and Peter's the one kind of sitting back in the chair over and you I just remember the shot distinctly from the other episode because you could see the the boat shoes that his his dad was wearing but again <laughs> that I I know we'll get more into later that you have like positions and jockeying and how Pete and his dad had a complicated relationship yeah. But also, he is his dad in a lot of ways, even though he might not realize it. Like, not to project too much or, or read too much into anything, but, like, it does fit this idea of, of um, one, I just made myself really sad because I was like, Pete spends his entire life, his entire existence trying to get his father's approval. And then he finds out that, like, maybe this whole thing that he's built, basically his entire career and self-image on is, like you said melissa just completely based on a lie there's absolutely no ground there for him to just this this is not a person maybe whose approval he needed and on and now he's definitely never gonna get it but like perhaps maybe at some point he may just realize that the reason why his father was always harder hardest on him is because of the two boys he's he's the one most like his father yeah i'm just gonna stick with that thought yeah it's a lot to process we talked last season about Don as like a mentor figure and it's come it came up in relation to kind of both Peggy and Pete last season they and I think we see that a little bit with Peter again this episode in that he, it's it's Don that he goes to when he doesn't know what to do um when Duck approaches Peter the first time about hey we have an opportunity now here to to go for American Airlines. I don't don't want you to feel weird about it, but we're gonna do it. So I'm letting you know. And by the way, I'm I'm feeding into what I I feel like you need to hear because I want you're good at your job and I I want you on this account. Kind of this this weird way. And Pete doesn't know what to do at first. So again, then he goes to Don, and we can get more into kind of what Don's dealing with and what Don's processing and how that can inform his reaction. But then once again, Peter's either actual father figure or chosen father figure 
um, rebuffs him and doesn't engage in the same way that second time. And that allows Duck his in. And I think that's why Peter makes the choice he does um, towards the end of the episode, right? Yeah. Something that really stuck out to me was, so when Duck goes to Pete to talk about this American Airline things, he says, like, I, you know, I wish that you felt like you could come to talk to me. So, like, instead of... Uh, Pete having to seek out Don every time he needs him. Duck is here giving him an open invitation, like saying, like, I wish that you felt like I was a mentor towards you. Like, I would love to be your, like, I apologize in advance, office daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, but he says, like, you know, we're practically family here, but I that rings incredibly false to me, especially seeing like the stuff between Duck and Don in this episode where we can get into that, um, you know, elsewhere in the episode. But connecting that to um, in a later scene, Betty talking about why she's upset that Bobby traced his drawing. She's saying like he's taking credit for something he didn't do. That's what Duck's doing here. Like he's saying we're practically family here, but we've never seen him one time like live in that the way that like Don is trying to do in this episode mm -hmm. other than with Pete so it's like very complicated and yet all related together in this idea of like like loyalty and like family yeah it's a good, I, it's a good episode it <laughs> is and I had the, I, I noted that same part and underneath I put who are you right because <laughs> you know I mean part of the big huge time jump that we got between season one and two we also missed duck ingratiating himself and i think we talked mm -hmm. about it last time duck ingratiating himself into the hierarchy of everything still not even 100 percent sure what he does and like where he lands on the the corporate structure and everything and he does come in with his like his uh his what's it leave it to beaver his cardigan-y kind of look and everything like maybe he should be smoking a pipe and being like good job son and it's not like don isn't completely that you know completely rebuffing him constantly you know when when like when pete came to him after finding out about his father i th thought that was a, an enormous amount of kindness that don showed him just very mm -hmm. simple here's a drink here's what you do go home but you know you're not gonna remember that stuff you're gonna remember the moments uh when don takes his mood out on him and mm -hmm. when don you know uh sends him away you could almost see this like the way Pete reacts to that, um, to that rejection, like you can tell that it's something that he's he's experienced more than once before and knows to just like this is the time to go or else you're gonna keep getting hurt thing and yeah, it's just it's 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 just I, it is so well done in this episode. Well, and even before he goes into Don's office that second time when he gets rejected he thinks about calling his wife presumably to talk this out with her he decides not to he makes eye contact with peggy i think that he's maybe thinking about like going and talking it over with her because that's another person that he has um a personal relationship that is available to him at this time and then he doesn't do that either he goes to don don rejects him so p is like well fuck it somebody in this office has already shown me kindness and been loyal to me and offered me something so I'm gonna do that even though he didn't necessarily think it was the right thing to do at first but Duck who has his back thinks it's a good idea so it obviously is one 
Do we trust Duck? Here's my no. question. No. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. We have no reason to yet. No. We know nothing about this man. I mean, and like, I don't like Pete, and that's on record, but like, I am, <laughs> like, Duck is taking advantage of someone who is in emotional pain, and like, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fairly manipulative in a, in a fairly gross way. Well, and he's cultivating this, like, bullshit, like, we're all family thing here, um, excluding the clients that they already have if they can drop them for, like, a bigger fish client, and that's just, like, a corporate thing that I don't love, so mm-hmm. No. No, he's very good at portraying that uh, mm-hmm. that fatherly figure without it's how do I want to put this? I don't want to say it's like studied or practiced, but it, it kind of is. No, it, yeah. it totally is because Duck, Duck works in accounts, right? So if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly, when Roger had his health scare last season, they basically split Roger's FTE, right? So like, let's say his title was like, senior vice president because his name's on on the door obviously coopert is like the head honcho but he was like senior vice president and head of accounts they split that so duck is head of accounts and roger still probably has a couple clients but basically is like his name's on the door and shows up right so duck is like selling pete like he would sell american airlines and it it just Mm -hmm. it feels cringy and gross Mm -hmm. I mean, the last thing I think that we necessarily need to hit on with Pete is that finally, finally, somebody has recognized that Pete is the best ad man in the office. (laughs) Because Duck says, like, I don't think you're the best for this job. I think you're the best. And Pete's like, oh, "Oh, no, finally, somebody sees me. Daddy. (laughs) Oh, bad dads, man. (laughs) as ice clinkles christian shepherd style as we transition to the peggy conversation i was gonna say that's a great like let's talk about bad dads with pete and carrying on to peggy speaking of emotionally absent fathers peggy's kid has one of those as he does not know this kid exists this was um was this isn't the first time we've we've had dinner at peggy's mom's right i think it is is it so it's Peggy sitting down with her sister and her mom. Her mom spends a lot of the time being like, hey, everyone keeps asking why you're not coming to church. I keep saying you're going somewhere else or all these other things. She doesn't want anyone to know that her daughter isn't going to church anymore, presumably because it's just like everyone goes to church and no one wants. I don't want anyone to think that my daughter is a heathen, but also probably maybe it's um, you know, just having grown up in a very Catholic community. It would not be unheard of for someone to just stop going to church because they had an illegitimate child. Yeah, I mm, don't need to get into it, but I (laughs) feel very, and like triggered is too strong of a word. I just have a reaction to seeing people be denied communion in a Catholic mass. Like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And that's all. Yeah. And we do, we don't see actual rejection, but we do see Peggy sitting down, not going up with the baby, Mm -hmm. self-imposed or whatever. I mean, you could always just be like, well, I can't go because I didn't go to church last week or whatever. But I mean, she's holding the baby. It's kind of a big giant neon sign. Yeah. And I don't know what the rules are specifically, but like, I, can you not receive communion in the catholic church if you have a baby out of wedlock uh 
my understanding, because weirdly I have way too much insight into this kind of thing. Uh, my understanding is that if you have to like reconcile for it, you know, get a uh, at least go, you know, serve, yeah, go to confession, do your penance, and possibly, you know, some people may think that they don't deserve it, or others will tell them that they still don't deserve to go up, even though. Like, unless they somehow legitimize the baby, like, actually marry the father, that kind of thing. I don't cool. know how strict they would be in the 60s, but... Well, and this is pre-Vatican too, right? Because the mass mm-hmm. is still all in Latin. I don't know all the details of what changed at the Second Vatican. Vatican Conference, right? So this is whatever the canonical law would have been now would have been even more conservative than it would be later in the decade so yeah and that's and then throw in all the societal expectations of that community and what people know and what they would expect and how they would react if if they knew and she still went up that kind of thing but i mean i not wouldn't put it past peggy to have like also internalize all that shame and just kind of self-exile her from it we don't know if it's like fully that or she actually just isn't very religious in general anymore Mm -hmm. but she does make an attempt at the end by showing up yeah it is that an attempt to reconcile with her lord and savior jesus christ or is that an attempt to reconcile with her mother it's her mother yeah i'm gonna go with the mom (laughs) i mean she tells her mom it doesn't mean the same thing to me as it does to you and just with the with how she's evolving, like in her per- personal and professional life, it it fits that she's less attached to all of that. It's hard because I definitely believe that like Peggy should be allowed to be her own person. She doesn't need to go to church just because her mom wants her to. Like it's natural, and I support her like struggling against the constraints of her family and like the person her mom wants her to be and all that but like also I want to say like your parent never has the right to like tell you how to live your life when you're an adult but like also your mom is raising your child and that becomes very complicated because then it's Mm -hmm. like maybe you do owe her something Mm -hmm. it's very complicated and like I don't it doesn't feel good to make judgments about Peggy or like her family, her son's situation, really. But I mean, yeah. that's what we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the like child that Peggy is holding at the end is being raised by her sister, and I do want to like. I think the the like the relationship with. Peggy's mother is obviously worth tracking, but then also, like, her sister definitely gave me, like, picking her mom's side over Peggy's and kind of, like, keeping on and adding in to, like, the, 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 the literal Catholic guilt that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that Peggy's mother was, was, um, heaving onto Peggy. So I, I think the relationship with the sister is kind of something to, to watch, too. Um, well, because her sister also like yeah. has holds this like moral superiority over her, not just moral, but just like a general. You don't actually know how to be an adult. You're acting like this big hot shot in New York, but like even the state didn't think you were responsible yeah. enough to make your own decisions, and we they had to take the baby away from you. It 
Yeah. So I think that does also play into her showing up to church being like, all right, well, clearly I don't know how to make all the right choices. So maybe I'll play along and be the dutiful, good, dutiful daughter because I've messed up my life somehow. It's a lot. It's a lot. For as, I mean, we get, don't get very much pegging this, but it is so much in these scenes that we get with her. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that the Peggy storyline is kind of being slowly revealed in these mm-hmm. two episodes at the beginning of the season. I feel like we're seeing as much of like her baby and we're learning about that like in the way as much as Peggy is willing to think about this baby, right? Like Mm -hmm. we didn't even necessarily like, I mean, in the first episode, we had no idea what was going on um, with the baby. And then in this episode, like she has to go to this dinner with her mom that nothing is mentioned about the baby until, you know, her sister says, aren't you going to go say goodbye? And then we go and we see her like, look at a baby and you're like, Oh, that's her baby. But you know, she has she's been avoiding thinking about it. She's been like avoiding going to like see the baby, say bye to the baby. Like, so we're not seeing that stuff. And then we see it when she sees it. And I just I like it. I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to keep calling her baby an it. Is it a boy? <laughs> Do we I know? <laughs> I think so. It's Mad Men, so we're just going to assume it's a boy. Cause, you I know. was just about to be like, <laughs> I don't I feel like it's too much. It would be too much to, like, deal with in the world of Mad Men to give Pete and Peggy a girl child. The the poor baggage that would be placed upon that poor little girl. Yeah. And it does fit more in line with, I think, the bad dad thing with Pete and uh-huh. uh, all the toxic masculinity going on. It just makes sense that this, uh, you know, the albatross around Peggy's neck would be another little boy who's... Mm-hmm just throwing a complete wrench in her life well and then command that too so like looking at like parallels with other characters on the show the idea that like don's mother died in childbirth and he never knew her and it and yeah no it's yeah there's definitely a couple like thematic things you can thread through um just really quickly Mm. before we move off peggy i want to comment on elizabeth moss carrying around that vacuum cleaner through most of her scenes why we don't know (laughs) probably product testing because she had to bring it back to her mom oh okay right 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 um because she's still being weighed down and carrying around the weight of patriarchal gender roles that's why There you go. I've solved it. And then two, not the two other like kind of shout outs that I like that shot of how the episode ended with the framing and the pews and the child on the lap. And then there's that really like gorgeous shot of Peggy like on the bed and it's like over and it's just very, I like it and it is good. <laughs> um, framing. It's a thing. Um, so I think it's funny that are not funny haha but interesting that we had a really thoughtful conversation about you know joan and how last episode and how you know our our journey with joan through season one and you know who we are now and you know maybe she's like misunderstood and you know all these things which i i think is also true but uh joan was kind of the the poster person for really really bad looks this episode <laughs> um, yeah that's one way to put it i uh <laughs> i had in my notes from when i watched it um 
Joan, dot, 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 racism, dot, 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 bad. Um, so let's, let's, yeah. let's expand that and make it a little more complex than I had it in my notes. Um, Joan uh, has things to work through and won't, it seems like. No, uh, when she meets Kinsey's girlfriend, what's her name? Sheila? Yes. Sheila? Yep. Yes, um, correct. So I think she's always kind of enjoyed the fact that she sort of had Kinsey wrapped around her finger a little bit, kind of trailing him along. And now that he's moved on, not only has he moved on, he's moved on to someone who she probably sees as the exact opposite end of the spectrum as her. She's a smaller woman and on top of that oh she's not white how about that and it's it's i'm sure just like jealousy and resentment and everything and she takes it out on poor sheila and says to her i have to say when paul and i were together the last thing i would have taken him for is open-minded and i just immediately wrote this fucking microaggression bullshit but like it's not even microaggression. Micro it's kind of yeah. macroaggression <laughs> yeah just full-on aggression uh and that's not even the first time she does that she does it she takes it on kinsey too who's very mad at her the next day and is like what did you say to her well and and it's like i don't even think it's the next day i like he's like i'm ignoring you thank you for finally noticing Mm -hmm. like like, she really thought she was gonna act this way and he was still gonna seek her out like this is the thing about joan is i was finally coming around to her but like she is straight up cruel Mm -hmm. for no reason I do still believe there is a reason for her behavior, but it's not a good reason. I mean, everybody has reasons for their behavior. I mean, for like not a reason that I am going to say like, okay, for sure, do your thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's um, she's sort of awful. And I I thought it was kind of interesting to you that Sheila didn't tell Kinsey what she actually said. I imagine it's one of those things of like, it's hard to explain why this is so terrible sometimes, especially to a white dude who has never really experienced it before. But I appreciate the full degree of anger that Kinsey comes at her with. Okay, I'll say one thing I did like about Joan in this episode, and then we can go in on the rest of it. Um, when she f- is first talking to him at the party, I mean, she's already said some shitty things, but when she asks him about the, why do you get the fancy glass, he says, because I have the Roan or whatever he says. And they like look at each other and she goes fine what is it like (laughs) i did think it was cute that she like knew that he really deeply wanted to like go in on this whiskey story to her and so she was like fine fine tell me she knows him and it is it's not untrue that kinsey just wants to be this interesting hipster guy who like Mm -hmm. is like kind of edgy and doesn't do the normal expected thing agreed and like but like it is just who he is too no totally but like what which i'm where i'm hesitating is i don't want to give the show credit where it's 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 not due because i think that this is a problem for the show kind of so far and probably in my opinion continues to be a a problem throughout the show especially not at at the time yes but i think even more so um a dec over a decade later um in the way that like both kinsey 
and Joan seeing and the way the episode fronts it around work and we don't Sheila get don't see Sheila again after the party, it kind of like removes for me and my reading kind of some of Sheila's own kind of read and her own experiences and like some of her even kind of, I guess like agency and kind of that whole situation, it becomes like about her and she's like, you know, a, a, a sticking point for, for Kinsey and Joan to have their, you know, the conversations mm-hmm. and, and their revenges. And it's like, but like, is Sheila really a character? Is she really a person or is she a div- is our, is this woman of color that this black woman that, Paul is dating now in a relationship with is it just then a device for the white people to snipe at each other over with how like I don't know it's it's complicated no definitely I agree with where you're going and I also think like even not like look like within the show like in universe she sure she's Paul's girlfriend I'm sure their relationship's great but (laughs) this episode makes it seem like she is just a pawn Mm-hmm. in his yeah. whatever he's doing because it's not like he was like oh i'm ignoring you because i'm taking the high road because i'm in this relationship that i'm happy about i'm ignoring you so that you will notice it so that we can talk about it so that i can post your id on the bulletin board at work and we can all laugh at you yeah no and yeah definitely it's it's definitely something that is still a pattern in the show from the very get-go like when we had that Chinese family who's left mm-hmm. in what's in Pete's office there is still a, an occasional presence of people of color throughout the show who even occasionally get a line or two but they do still present um, still are used up as props and plot devices and not necessarily developed people and, like you know, I'm sure that when this episode aired, Matthew Weiner was like, "Oh, look, person of color, real character, name and lines and everything." And then it's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, well, no." Yeah, yeah. You did not nail it. It is some kind of a problem where still it's very like, "Hey, racism exists," and everyone who, uh, of color is watching and going, "Yeah, we 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 know." But like, these people have names and lives also, but. The show doesn't actually dress them. It is very centric on the white characters. And what what I mm, I was gonna say what I did like about that I don't like anything about that but what I thought was true to kind of life and and, and things that I have have seen before is like in in the not so microaggressions that that Joan has throughout this episode. Um, microaggressions being um, expressions of racism and systemic inequality that the perpetrators might not even be kind of aware of or, or, or conscious of and just the ways that you know that our behavior and our actions kind of entrench um, inequality and, and, and racism throughout the system but in in the both <laughs> microaggressions and it's not so microaggressions that, that Joan does we haven't seen Joan be kind of overtly racist or, or comment on on race at all so far in the series. Um, I think a lot of that's because it's a lot of it's a very white show. Um, so it's not it, exactly but, a lot of opportunity. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so like, let's assume that you know no, let's not assume. I just think we don't know. Period. End of sentence. But what I felt was accurate in the ways that. 
Joan then sees race as a tool, whether it's conscious, how conscious it is or not, how, whether it's, you know, I'm, I am a racist, so I'm going to say these things, or I'm going to use racism or structural inequality, microaggressions as a tool, as, as a weapon in my toolbox, as a, as a, you know, white colonizer. Um, I just think that that is kind of interesting in the way, and unfortunately, true to life because it's like something that you don't always necessarily like oh i'm not a racist i'm not gonna like you know say or do these things or that's terrible yeah that's great paul's so what does she say um open-minded that that that's great but the minute i can now weaponize the your race against you even not even to make it about you to make it about you know whatever my unresolved relationship is with with paul um i think unfortunately is true to life i guess is what i'm trying to say as the white male struggles through talking about race. So uh, anyways, mm-hmm. let's move on. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we don't like, um, like you said, Melissa, we don't know enough about the relationship to know what kind of relationship or dynamic they actually have. Is it really Kinsey just trying to be cool guy and fakely fetishizing this woman of color? We don't know that. It doesn't matter. It's not the important thing. The important thing is Kinsey and Joan. And I think, Joan's reaction, again, I do think she has her own justification, not necessarily justification. I don't really think she's necessarily even thinking about it that hard. I think a lot of it is an extension of her, of how she behaves with other women in general and how she lords her power over, like, the secretarial pool. She is a woman who's kind of trapped uh, in her place and still caught in these, like, really, you know, ideas more of the past and less of the progressive 60s or whatever, and probably resents it all so you've got someone who's showing who's moving on and who doesn't see her as the ideal woman when she that's what she's supposed to be and Mm -hmm. you know the way we see her take it out on other women especially the women underneath her I think this is also just an extension of that she has more power quote-unquote power over a woman of color and so she's just attacking laterally it's just another thing where she is still not good enough for the white guys so she has to just go out it's not a healthy behavior it's not a good behavior it's one that she may or may not grow from or learn from and change but it's definitely a pattern she's been setting up from the beginning i don't picture joan learning growing or changing at this point especially when she is the one who is like talking shit to kinsey and being so mean to him and then has the nerve to be like, don't bring your personal problems into the office. Um, okay, lady. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, you are capable of not even the most minimal amount of self-reflection. <laughs> no. There's a, a distinct lack of awareness. I mean, for a lot of people, it's very protective. Like, with Pete, just don't look, don't be introspective, don't look at your own flaws, because that's scary. Mm-hmm. It's too much. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> lack of introspection in the, pretty much everyone in the show. Well, just like everyone in real life, too. But it's like we're not all on TV, so <laughs> we this don't get true. called out for it. <laughs> this is very true. Did we want to touch on Betty a bit before we kind of move to sure. Don's whole thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Pecky for a while was trying to do the work. Or Betty, you mean? Betty, yes. Yeah. I always confuse her names. 
we didn't get a lot of of Betty this episode, especially in contrast to last episode where we find out she's taken up up riding and everything again. Um, but we do get some Francine and Carlton, and then Don and 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 Betty kind of contrast, right? Which so I guess this is giving us kind of insight to how things have been for both couples since the end of season one like what what happened kind of that that missed year and and how unhappy maybe happy probably unhappy it's bad men um people are since kind of the 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 pivotal moments are in in the respective relationships um still don't like carlton uh, I don't think he's he's changed a lot for all the things he feels like he's he's uh, given up. Um, I think he's still the same person. Um, and I know we talked a bit earlier about Betty being upset about Bobby's dishonesty. Um, we don't know. Remind me because I don't remember it from the last episode, but I could be misremembering. We don't know if Betty ever confronted Don about the infidelity with Dr. Wayne and, and, and knowing the Well, no, there. because it would have been the doctor telling Don, brush your nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking about that, the like comments about dishonesty and even going through the conversation between Betty and Don about Francine and Carlton, all of those, I think, are like little... Betty hints like listen I know (laughs) Mm -hmm. we both know we know and I got the feeling that she replaced her therapy sessions with the horse riding oh yeah okay um because we because we don't even get like little hints that she's still going and it was it was too tense for for I think for us to have kept that up for a whole year But they do seem to be, like, talking to each other in code about it. Yeah, I have I have here in the, the, the show notes, um, they're, they're talking about Carlton and Francine, but they're actually not. And Betty says he mm-hmm. should be happy yeah. and he should be grateful. And then... I and, mean... Yeah, go ahead. He should. He should. Also... <laughs> I don't care if he's happy or not. I simply don't care. So, like, happy, unhappy, don't need to talk about it. His feelings do not matter. <laughs> like, Yeah, and we know that uh, freaking Carlton isn't exactly any better now because he makes all those gross comments about, like, the was it the babysitters and everything and talking about how they look in their uniforms and it's like, Ugh. oh, no. Ugh. I love Don being like, listen, bro, I like you, but this is not... You're not going to get from me what you're looking for out of this conversation. So why don't we go ahead and just uh, end this one right here? <laughs> yeah. Like right now you're grossing out Don. So that's too far, buddy. <laughs> you're grossing out Don. Big problem. <laughs> At least Don's infidelities are with grownups. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh no, that, it's so bad. <laughs> that, that moment kind of reminded me of of the whole Roger Don stuff we talked about in season one with uh, the the twins. I'm um, about oh. how how like Roger uh-huh. is extra gross. So like even though like you do not retweet like or endorse Don Draper's choices as he is a an antihero, um, 
he's better than X. So like we like him a little bit more in, in, in contrast. Right. Like, so I'm ever since we kind of like identified that last season, I'm always looking for those instances where it's like you kind of catch yourself fist pumping how Don is a little bit better than the worst. And then you're like, Oh, but wait, he still is the worst. And how the, the show manipulates the audience a bit to kind of be on Don's side against our better judgment. Uh, it's me. I need to put my Don Draper guards up. <laughs> well, because I mean, Don is our knight. He's got a code, even though he's a terrible knight. He's got his code. He's got his boundaries, which is like still better than nothing. But that's when so it, funny. I, guess. I have I guess. in my notes Question to talk mark? about knights later. Oh, nice. But I guess then maybe if we're okay, we can pivot into Don. But I, the last thing he says to Betty in, in their last kind of scene together in the episode is they're obviously the coded language about them actually talking about their own relationship through the guise of Francine and Carlton um, is changing and it's starting to get tense. And Don just kind of looks at her and kind of shrugs and goes, "I'll say whatever you, I'll I'll say whatever you think I should say." but I'm not going to fight with you. And says in this really kind of like dismissive way. And then Betty kind of leaves, goes outside and like lights up a cigarette and just needs to like take a moment to kind of even deescalate for her. And I'm like, like, yeah, if I was, if I was Betty, I would do that too. So maybe not smoke. Cause I don't, but you know, it looks cool. So, <laughs> so Don, our, our, our night with the, I wonder if he still has those cufflinks. Oh my god. Do we think he still has those cufflinks? I'm sure he he has them in his like memento box. Hidden in the closet somewhere. Where he pulls them out and stares longingly at them. It's interesting to me. And maybe this is just because as we recorded this, the uh the Green Knight trailer dropped, so I'm I'm all thinking about chivalric love and knights and Arthurian mm-hmm. legend and all that stuff. That's it's that's in the air, as they say. Um, I was gonna say chivalry kind of wasn't really like a code of like we're gonna be good people. It's basically just no. telling just a visible code to women going, "Hey, guess what? I'm not gonna rape you." That's basically Great. all chiv- chivalry Thank was. Thank you so much. How it's magnanimous really of you. <laughs> So I can't say I'm super impressed by chivalry all the time. Just like, could you just be a decent person and not do it in this like regimented sort of way? But that 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 so like informs Don and Don and, and like Melissa. I'm curious here, like your expanded thoughts, especially as it relates to kind of chastity of like Mohawk Airlines and loyalty to that client versus like what's Duck doing, and it just all it all kind of plays together, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This like promise that you're making of not to fuck someone, <laughs> just to tie it all in together. Uh, like he seems like really deeply wounded. He takes it very personally when they they suggest dropping Mohawk, a name I still cringe at. By the way, well, yeah, because he used his newfound sentimental feelings about his sweet children as a Mohawk Airlines advertisement. And so I think that that pulled him, that that pulled Mohawk Airlines into like Don's inner circle. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I gave this like thing to you. Um, So now like you're part of my family and I want to be loyal to you, which is how they were selling advertising accounts 
to begin with. So that always should have been true. But I think mm-hmm. it is telling that we're only seeing Don do this with Mohawk. And I think it is because he went like sentimental with their advertising. Um, and then like we see him be sentimental through this whole episode. So like he checks in on his kids before he goes to bed. Um, he like this whole episode is like trying to get Sterling Cooper to remain loyal to them. Um, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. (laughs) No, it's like a, it's almost like a promise he made himself to himself that you are this person. You are the sentimental person. You're Uh the family man. You're the one that this matters to. And that is what they're responding to. They like you because you are who you think you are. And if they go back on that, it's almost just another instance where he's like, oh, crap, everything that I've, uh, the image I'm projecting to everyone and the lie that I'm telling myself is just that. It's a lie. So I think that's really hard for him to accept, even though he is a lie. Yeah. And like, I mean, when he says, like, I can't believe I look like an idiot for wanting to be loyal to these people, like, loyalty isn't a thing that Don Draper's ever tried out before. And so the first time he does it, you guys are telling him he's not allowed to, like... I mean, I hate to say this, but like, can Don live? <laughs> can you tell me? Can you tell me more what you mean by that? I mean, like, they so Don's role at Sterling Cooper is to like sell these accounts, no matter what. Say whatever you have to say to get them, and then I think the unspoken agreement is we will then do what we need to do to keep these accounts no matter what. So when Don sells Mohawk Airlines on them as an advertising firm by saying like uh, we don't need a bigger airline, we'll make you a bigger airline, like we are family here, like we are going to take care of you, like family here, like doing that doesn't come naturally to Don. So the first time he does it, then Sterling Cooper like backs out on their end of the agreement and says like, nope, we're not doing that. Like we like weaponize loyalty to these people to get them here with us, but now we have a better offer. So we need to go back on that. Don is mm-hmm. like, no, 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 I just bought into this. And so then from the outsider looking in, I'm like, can you like let, like I, Don doesn't need like breaks to be given to him but like can Don catch a break like he Mm -hmm. is doing something good for once and y'all won't let him well also remember in the past Don has been courted by other agencies Uh bigger agencies agencies with more money with huger uh, accounts and everything and he chose to remain loyal to this company as well he loyalty and room to grow and room to like have more say in everything he's you know he wanted to be a partner he rejected all that to remain loyal to his work family and now they're just because that's what they wanted they said we want you to be loyal to us we'll somehow make it happen we want to create this environment and now it's just like nope just getting more money bye mm-hmm. and i think it's 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 an important distinction too that don makes where like i think if it was like here's your seven million dollar offer from american airlines versus your one million dollars from the current airline that they do have like if that if the the offer for the seven million was real maybe don would feel differently but it's like they're letting their client go that they sold on that sentimentality and the the loyalty for like maybe a chance at the larger account it's not even like a done deal so it could all be like for nothing um melissa you have something 
I'm curious to hear you expand upon more in, in the notes as it kind of like relates to this about when um, Don, Don and Roger are, are talking about what they, they should and shouldn't do. And this is right before Pete kind of comes in and leads to like Don's mood um, when Pete seeks him out the second time. But when we, we mentioned the quote before, but I, you have Roger's response in the note. So it says, Don asks, what kind of company are we going to be? I can't believe it looked like for an idiot for wanting to be loyal to these people. And then Roger basically says something about like, oh, we need to like, like stop it. You're taking off, taking off your dress. Yeah. Roger says, take off your dress and like, basically like, take off your dress, man up and do it. Like, this is what we're doing. And so in my mind, I'm like, Roger thinks that loyalty is, like, a feminine trait. And then, like, obviously he thinks that it's, like, a bad thing to be feminine with the dress on, which is the same as loyalty. So, like, you guys get what I'm going for. And that's what made me think of, like, knighthood. Because, like, one of the pillars of, like, knighthood was, like, being loyal to, like, the king or the land or, like, you know, whoever you're serving. So I'm like, when did loyalty go from being like one of the number one like masculine traits to being like a feminine thing that we don't do (laughs) like right so my understanding of that line was a little bit differently and it wasn't about like feminizing loyalty it was more about that whole kind of like chastity and kind of more like relationship type piece right whereas Mm -hmm. like loyalty like again i I think you could say it's like coded more as like feminine because it's tied up with um purity culture and kind of that that structural inequality and and that kind of whole patriarchal bucket there where it's like loyalty is chaste it's knowing when to stop drinking because you can't feel your face is that that one girl said um Mm -hmm. to to uh ken at 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 the party and, and kind of like the the wearing down of like the it okay it's it's like the musical Oklahoma um there's a whole song with with Annie Adu and her <laughs> her whole thing is I know what I should say but I just I always say yes right because you know that's Oklahoma great great musical but that's but so like loyalty is knowing you you should say no like Peggy did earlier in the episode when the the guy um kinsey's uh college buddy had a really bad sales pitch that she turned down that's what roger is thinking of is is don is being is is being kind of uh what word do i want to say i uh, from roger's perspective not my but like you know being more prudish i guess and less quote-unquote fun and like whatever like that so i think we're definitely in similar places but i didn't think it was specifically about feminizing dawn as like you're wearing a dress because you're being you know whatever it was more about the idea of being more of a yes person instead of like a no person as it relates to romantic and sexual conquests which i think then ties in annie and tell me please tell me if i'm uh, um a little how off the mark i am but like when we're talking about chivalry yes there's like you know the idea of like swearing your 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 sword and like you know the the crown and all that stuff but isn't it a largely about like you were saying before the loyalty to yourself like your honor is so great that i'm not gonna break my oath to the king because that looks bad on me or i'm not going to you know 
fuck Guinevere because like 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 because of what how that reflects on me. Like, isn't it still like through the kind of sense of self, or am I like off the mark? No, I don't think you're off the mark there at all. I think there's a certain sense of integrity that goes with it and like a sense of self-pride and worth that comes through because of it, because you know that you're following the rules. And that's a a character we've seen many times in the past, you know, those sort of almost lawful good kind of guy. I'm sorry, my brain is... No, it's fine. (laughs) I'm trying really hard not to go off on like a, like, you know just make this a bring of tarth podcast um but we'll see <laughs> there's enough game of thrones podcasts out there um um what is left to talk about with don i mean this is a don episode where he didn't do anything to make me be like god damn it don again so i assume he's just gonna be complete trash next episode <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah no where was that moment in the in the restaurant where he was like had a moment with a waitress in my head and you know i wrote down i'm like oh please god are you just gonna hit on the pretty waitress like no we were doing so well talking about loyalty but i think that moment with uh the ceo from from mohawk air kind of basically being disappointed and telling him you know you you had me fooled you i i actually believed you were that person you were telling me that you were i think that kind of helped set don right in and reminded him of the person he told himself he was and yeah i know it's 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 the constant don struggle of being the person that he is and the person he thinks he is he's a i mean balancing out his behavior with one way or another isn't he yeah and i mean i guess he wasn't it's just like i it's just because I don't like Pete that I'm not clocking this, I think, as strongly as I would otherwise. But, like, I was saying, like, Don wasn't awful in this episode. But, like, he was. He was awful to Pete. He's going on this whole thing about loyalty. And then when his work son comes to him and because he needs help, he's like, can I, can you leave? Can you go away? Like, what are you doing? And Pete is like, fine. I will leave and go away forever. <laughs> And now he has a no. He has a, 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 a an even arguably worse father figure at work. It's like oh yeah. No. Well, and then another thing is like Don is doing his best in this episode, and he's trying so hard. And it's so relatable that like when you are doing all of the things and you're trying so hard, something slips through the cracks. Like it is impossible to get every single thing on the checklist correct. And the thing that slipped this time was poor Pete. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. No, that's, that's just that just makes me think of. Have either of you read American Pastoral by Philip Roth? It's no. on the list. It's always on the list. So it's I, it's very Philip Rothy. So if 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 you know kind of what his writing style is and some of his um, challenges and limitations as as kind of an author as as it relates to the kind of stuff we've we've talked about like with race and and, and gender and things like that it's, it's it's definitely there but it's definitely in a at least to me it's in a similar milieu to like Mad Men and kind of this idea and there's the idea of, of like glove making is speaking and all the, the craftsmanship it is to to craft something this like little this like idyllic perfect life and how like the harder you try to grasp that like your fist metaphor um the more things slip through that's just what made me try to think of american pastoral so yeah read it it's interesting <laughs> haven't seen the movie though it's kind of an unadaptable book but you and mcgregor tried 
and I'll eventually watch it because he <laughs> directed it. So there we oh. go. Yeah. So did we like this episode? It's it's a lot more. The first time I, I watched, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. I did. There was a lot of really really great moments in it. I thought um, they did a lot of excellent character work for so many of the characters. Um, I think it was a really good example. I think of just really efficient. Um, efficient storytelling choices mm-hmm. yeah. it's like the show is good or something guys <laughs> it is it is a good show just like one thing that i want to talk about which fits mostly in like bits and bobs but it relates to why i like this episode is that so much of this episode is tied together by people and like characters establishing their positions amongst themselves so like all Mm -hmm. of the repetitive clarifying of jobs and titles um you know pete and trudy talk about it which pete is trying to like establish himself above his employees his employees his co-workers (laughs) um and like peggy tells her friend um at the party who she just met she tells him um he says, oh, you work for them. And she says, I work with them. And then she yeah. goes even further to tell him, like, I'm in the persuasion business. And therefore, like, I am better at this, like, flirting game than you. Um, Pete making his choice to work with American Airlines, kind of establishing, like, who he is in relation to his relationship with his father. And I think in relation to John Draper, too. Like, he, I think he's thinking what Don would have done would, would be to you know stay loyal to mohawk and his family and so he does the opposite um and i liked all of that like tying together and we can see everyone working through the same things while they're doing like completely different things in the episode Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we even had had joan asserting that she was the office manager not head secretary oh yeah Mm -hmm. right so and that's what triggers the whole you know her whole conversation with Sheila when she finds out Sheila is a manager. So yeah, maybe Joan is giant racist. Um, cause it's about positions and power <laughs> and things like that. Um, yeah. My bits and bobs, we kind of already touched upon it earlier was I, when I was watching the episode and the mass at the end was all in Latin. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is like pre Vatican too. So everything would have been <laughs> in Latin except maybe like the sermon. And I'm like, I wouldn't, want to go to that either i would have no idea what was was going on um so just something that clocked for me annie did you have anything for bits and bobs uh no not really i think we covered everything i wanted to talk about i did want to point out uh, the asian american actress in in the uh just talking again talking about when we were talking about women of color or people of color throughout the show just being props and the one time you see an Asian American actress on the on the screen is she's a sexy waitress. She's an object of a potential ob- uh, sexual object, and I hate it. That's that whole shot, and then it like slowed down. It was just, ugh. It was gross. It was, yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, women of color in particular being, um, just being kind of objectified. That was like their whole purpose, like uh, Sheila, and then this waitress. Yeah. It's not a thing that I enjoy seeing. And of course, that's what this show does. But other than that, I think we covered pretty much everything. Cool. 
We did it. Annie, where can people find more of you on the internet? It's funny you asked, Matt. I happen to be on Twitter and Instagram at Pop Artery. You can also find me on my other podcast called The Daily Nightly, where we're reading all of Jane Austen and watching a bunch of adaptations. Right now, we are in the midst of Pride and Prejudice. What about you, Melissa? Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. Or you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where our most recent episode is a review of the Oz Perkins horror-adjacent film, Gretel and Hansel, which is really great. And I had a lot of fun doing that episode. And our next episode will be coming out shortly, which will be a review of Birds of Prey, something, 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 Harley Quinn. (laughs) you can find me on twitter at at mattyhugh m-a-t-t-y-h-u-g-h you can follow the podcast on twitter as well at at still great pod on like i said on twitter and as well as instagram and please rate and review this podcast in the pod catching system of your choice would love to hear your feedback all right well Bye. Bye. (laughs) Later days. Oh, also, Ken Cosgrove, you're the worst. Later days. Later days. Later days.